For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. You're listening to the Moms as Entrepreneurs podcast, where moms are provided the resources and tools to excel in business and in life with your favorite moms as entrepreneurs, Jasmine Sims, owner of the award-winning Scrub Nail Boutique, and Tamara Lucas, the business doctor. So guess who's back once again? Moms as Entrepreneurs, the Moms. I am Jasmine Sims, the owner of the award-winning Scrub Nail Boutique in Baltimore, Maryland. And I'm Tamara Lucas, the business doctor. So today we have some exciting tips that we would like to share with you via Mr. Anthony Butler Esquire of TBMG Law. So he's going to share with us some legal strategies to protect and grow your business. Yes, ma'am. So welcome. Good to be here. Thank you for coming. A, a pleasant surprise. you gave us. But. That's okay. It's a pleasant <laughs> surprise. I walked in the door and said, they do not look like Omar, but that is okay. <laughs> we look better. Yes, you do. <laughs> yes, you do. And you can tell them I said it. <laughs> so, so, you know, you're going to give us some legal tips mm-hmm. um, to start your business. So, so let's get exactly, started. Exactly. So the, the reason um, we chose this topic for tonight is because, you know, Omar and I have been doing this show now for some for some years, it seems. Probably that's accurate. And we always start and somehow reference uh, some comments we made early on in the process about what do you need to start your business, having your team together. Then it, it hit me as we were produ- getting ready for this show that we really haven't revisited that topic mm-hmm. or some of the basics on what it means to start your business in the first place. So we've covered almost every topic in between. Uh, so now this is just kind of, you know, start from scratch, tabula rasa, as they say, a clean slate, uh, realizing that some of our listeners may not have been with us for the whole journey. So we're going to start from the beginning on what do you need to start your business? Absolutely. And I get this question all the time about the legal formation of your business and all the legal um, questions. So I think this is definitely a topic that you can probably do a million times mm-hmm. and you're going to learn something different each and every time you do it. So mm-hmm. I'm excited to hear some of the great information that you, you are going to be sharing. So let's let's get, let's get right in. All right. How so- do we legally... Get into business. There you go. And so, I, and I think that's just the beginning p- portion of it is how do you start? So, um, but I, we go back a, a bit before you even form your business. What do you need to do as you're preparing to form your business? So, one of the things that we do, ref- that Armand and I have ref- been referencing a lot, is get your team together. And for me, that's that's a two phase process. The first one is what I call the triumvirate. You need at least three people on your team to help you form a business. That is your attorney, your CPA, and your financial uh, or your financial manager. Somebody who's going to help you manage the money, mm-hmm. somebody who's going to help you count the money and make sure you're reporting right to the IRS, and then a person who helps you navigate uh, and minimize your legal exposure in, as whatever your industry is. So get those three people together first. Uh, they can help you with the business plan. They can help you with the marketing plan help you with any of the prerequisites you need before you make the decision of which form or entity do you use to actually operate your business. Um, So that's the first phase I say do. And then the second one is, depending on your industry, is get what I call an advisory board. Yes. This can be people. Very important. People who don't have to be, they don't have to be local. They can be out of state. 
It can be people you talk to once a week, once a month, biweekly, whatever, uh, via Facebook, Skype, Internet, whatever it may be. But people just to give you some general business advice. It can be outside your industry, inside your industry. Uh, but people really just serve as your springboard to give you advice on some daily operating tips, strategies to help you move forward. And they may help talk you out of a bad decision mm-hmm. as well. It, 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 being a business owner is not for everybody. Right. Uh, and so having those people in place can help you figure that out first before you even start. Yes, ma'am? I get this question a lot. Um, people ask me how I selected my advisory board. How do you suggest someone finds people to be their advisor? Should they look closer to their network or should they reach out to people, you know, maybe necessarily they haven't come in contact with? Uh, I think both. Um, you want uh, If you're going to get somebody from your network, you want somebody who challenges you and not somebody who's a yes person, somebody mm-hmm. who just kind of says, important. oh, that's a good idea. Um, you know, and, and the people I, I look for is when I remember when I first started, I would send an email out saying, this is my potential logo for my firm. What do you all think? And a lot of people came back with, it's nice. It looks good. Congratulations, which is not really a good critique. Mm-hmm. The person who comes back with, mm, that color is not right for you. Have you considered that in your industry? Maybe you want to go with this color. That's <laughs> the kind of person you want to give that kind of advice. And I hope everyone heard that because <laughs> I am always the one to give that advice. I am not surprised. Oh. <laughs> and sometimes people don't know how to receive it. Exactly. And it's not that I'm just rude, like, oh, no, that's ugly. I'm really giving constructive criticism um, that's really going to help you. So I hope everyone heard how important it is not to get someone that's going to agree with you all the time. So to I mean, Jasmine's point, again, that could be somebody in your inner circle right now. Mm-hmm. It could be a family member, probably not in most cases. Um, but you want somebody who's been successful in their own right mm-hmm. uh, and somebody with some critical thinking who's really going to give you that opinion you need. Uh, so sometimes that might be a stranger you met at a networking event. Um, who just has to, you know, has the policy of open door and wants to help the next person grow their business. Uh, it could be somebody, uh, it could be a college professor, it could be a mentor that you've had throughout your life. So any of those people and all of those people really are good candidates to be on your advisory boards, people who will give you an honest opinion about your idea. That means when your idea is a bad idea, they'll tell you <laughs> your idea is a bad idea and why it's a bad idea. Right. Recently, um, Tamira changed our website to pink. And it drove me crazy, <laughs> so I had to tell her I hate it. She just hates pink, it. <laughs> but I changed it because well, I wasn't married to pink. It just was the closest thing. I and did. sometimes, you know, that first response is, "Oh, I don't like it," but then you can quantify it and give some reasons why. It right, fit but like you sense. said, you know, being successful in your own right with certain things, she knows that I have a certain artistic vision mm-hmm. when it comes to how we present ourselves as well as for my personal business. So she actually takes whatever criticism or whatever ideas I have, you know, to heart. And that's, and that's, and that's the kind of people you want on your team and on your advisory board. So, again, it can be from any industry. Uh, it can be somebody far across the country on the West Coast, somebody in New York, down in Florida, over in Atlanta, doesn't matter. As long as they're accessible to you, they're responsive mm-hmm. to you, and you trust their opinion, and you trust them to give you an honest opinion. And I think that's the, the, probably the key point. Somebody who will give you an honest opinion regardless um, if you're going to take it well or not. I think as a small business owner, you need to get over yourself sometimes and not be so emotional because you will get um, you need to learn how to get used to rejection. You learn how to get used to uh, no and, and how to tell people no yep. as well. Um, but I think Preach. Once, Are we in church? <laughs> it is Sunday. It is Sunday. <laughs> Um, if you church this late, then good for you. But 
Uh, but I think once you get those things in place, then you can start to look at you know, what type of business you should form. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of the we've covered these again in previous shows. You can go to the website and, and, and look at and pull some of those shows um, for those for more in-depth discussion on whether you organize as a sole proprietorship, as an LLC, or as a corporation. Uh, they all have very distinct uh, tax benefits and consequences uh, and, and increasing uh, levels of protection uh, and protection from legal liability as well. So, uh, so can you please emphasize on how important it is to educate yourself on what type of business to form? Because everyone goes to forming an LLC because they think that's the one, like everyone mm-hmm. has an LLC. Right. So can you, you know, kind of dig a little bit deeper on why it's important to really navigate which type of legal formation you should choose for your business? Because right. this is a question I get all the time. Yep, and, and, there, and, and it's a good, and it's not a, a one-size-fits-all type of response either. It depends mm-hmm. on what industry you're in. It depends on what your personal tax situation is. That, this is one of the few situations that, as an attorney, I will always defer to the CPA. If your CPA says this is the best one for you, then I will def- we'll roll with that yep. unless you have some compelling reason <laughs> not to do it. Uh, and, it and, and that really has to be a compelling reason of why you don't want to follow your CPA's advice. But follow the tax guy. If that's what they, based on your their analysis of where you are in your life right now, what you've got going on with other business entities, your personal life, Follow that advice and move forward. Now, I normally would say that the sole proprietorship probably is not the best one because you have no protection mm-hmm. and has the least uh, tax advantages. So it's normally a conversation between an LLC or a corporation of mm-hmm. some sort and different types of corporations as well. Again, that's a, we can, don't have the time to go into that kind of detail today. But listen to your advisory board. Listen to your team, uh, your management team, so to speak. Follow the advice of your tax, uh, your CPA, preferably a CPA, not a preparer. Let them tell you which way to go. Um, and then you follow that advice because it will save you a lot of headache down the, time, down the line if you end up having to convert later. That's mm-hmm. going to be costly and more um, in, in problematic depending on what your industry is. What advice do you have for someone who has formed an LLC? However, there's certain processes through um, lease litigations and things like that where they ask for personal guarantee. What route would you suggest that they take because that was a that's a question I get sometimes, but I also got that question at Coppin mm-hmm. when I um, covered Tamira's class. I had a few questions about that as well. Okay, and I think again that depends on your business. And sometimes, um, if you need to go the traditional route for financing, uh, you can always say no, but you may not have a financing for your business. Mm-hmm. So it's going to depend on how much money you need, what other funding sources you have available to you. And your ability to raise capital as well. If you can raise the capital you need in a short period of time, maybe you don't need to go the conventional route. Maybe you don't need to sign off as a personal guarantor for whatever that is, or even for a lease for for your office space, for example. A lot of times, if you're a new business, they want their personal guarantor. So legally, I hear you. That's not one that you want to do. But again, probably the second scenario, sometimes I give you my legal advice and the business advice. The legal advice is you don't want to be a personal guarantor because right. ex- even though you have an LLC, you've just incorporated all of your personal assets that's mm-hmm. into that agreement. But if you don't sign it, you don't get office space. Mm-hmm. So that's a business decision you need to mm-hmm. make, which is separate from the legal analysis you need to make. And I think, again, it's talking with your team and figuring that out, figuring out what works best for you and what your exposure is, even if you do sign off on, as a personal guarantor. Most small business owners end up signing as a personal guarantor because they don't have the option of uh, going somewhere where they can get an office space without one, or mm-hmm. uh, they don't. Whatever the, the, the financing needs are, they don't have the, they don't have access to capital to get that from a non-conventional way. 
Right. So the best advice is to consult that team that he told you for number one, your attorney, your CPA, and your accountant, and choose the lesser of the three evils. <laughs> so look, <laughs> let's, let's talk about the fun stuff. The fun stuff is protecting your business, trademarks, intellectual property. Yep. So let me just tell you the story on why, why I want you to share this information. I had a friend that made this really nice T-shirt design, and someone replicated the T-shirt and made it like a, um, a picture, like you hang on your wall. Mm-hmm. And I was like, did you, hmm, you know, and right. no. So tell me it why. Is, and, and, and that's a pure, pure example why you want to do it, uh, why you want to make sure you have some kind of trademark protection. If you're building a product that you've engineered yourself or you've got designs for, you want to make sure you file a patent for that with the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Um, there are a lot of things you can do to protect your intellectual property, what you own. Uh, sometimes that's something as simple as putting the little C at the end of your document. This yes. is copyright two, 2016. When you're writing something, you're letting the public know that you are staking a claim on it, that you're claiming ownership, claiming ownership of that. Um, if you are, so is artist, that a legal process you have to go through to put the C at the bottom? Not a le- No. The, the, so the legal process is when you have an R at the bottom, the R with the circle around it. That's that's the registered trademark. Okay. Um, copyright is just saying that you've written something and you're announcing to the public that you are asserting ownership of the text you just put together. So there's copyright of your text and then there's trademarks, which would be your logos, your images, uh, et cetera. And then patent would be you are, you are seeking legal protection and ownership of a process, normally a scientific process or a machining process. You built a mock-up of something and you've designed a new widget and you want to make sure that your design process is protected because it's something you created. Uh, so those those are the normally three different ways, avenues for protection: copyright, trademark, and patent protection. So when going through the patent process, where do you start with that? I get that question a lot too. So do you start with trying to go through that process on your own? Or do you necessarily need an attorney to go through that process? That depends on your savvy um, and, and how, uh, pro- what your knowledge and your comfort level, I should say, of reading legal documents. So it's an application that you can get from online mm-hmm. uh, at the USPTO's website. Uh, but if you don't have any experience doing that, you don't have an experience with mechanical drawings, because um, that's all part of that process as well. So if you may have the great idea, but you then hired an engineer to do it, to do the mock-up. You hired somebody to actually put it together, and you don't understand the science behind it or how to properly do the drawings to go with your application. You need as much help as you can. So you might need technical support and legal support to uh, file the application. But if you are comfortable with all of that, uh, save yourself some money. You can do the application and then submit it to an attorney for review. Mm-hmm. Or you may need hand-holding throughout the whole process, which is going to cost you more, of course, because uh, most times they're either going to charge you a flat fee, a higher flat fee, depending on where you are in the process, or hourly. Um, and then you can still minimize that cost by doing some of the work by yourself. And that's the same way with active formation as well. So I know people, a lot of people want to form non- nonprofits. Um, and forming the nonprofit is easier, but then applying for the nonprofit status with the IRS is a more detailed and in-depth application. I have clients all the time say, I will do the application first, I'll come to you for review, and then we'll make any tweaks. They save money that way. So mm-hmm. you can... Uh, so having your team, that I mean, you have to use them for every step of the way. It also depends on, again, your comfort level, what you are um, have the experience in and what you feel like you can handle on your own. So in starting, 
Um, the starting the process of registering your business as an entity, should you protect your intellectual property first or should you do it after? So should you do it under your personal name or should you do it under your business name? It depends on what your goals are, um, if who, who you want to own it. And even if you start it, I guess, again, you know, there's no right answer. You can do an assignment. You can start it and have the idea, start the process, and then you can assign that ownership to the business entity later. Or you may have, for business reasons, you want to maintain the ownership of that trademark, that copyright, that patent individually, and not have it tied to your business assets. So worst mm -hmm. case scenario, somebody sues you or you want to sell the business, you can separate the two out. You can sell the business and say, oh, but I own the patent. I own the trademark. So I'm going to sell you the business. I'll license it to you. That could be another stream of income you can have mm -hmm. later on down the line. So, again, that's, that's a good question for your team. To, to go to in your advisory board is to figure out which one makes a sense for whatever your product is or whatever it is you're trying to protect. That's great because that's exactly what I was wondering. You know, in my business, we have certain processes. We have protocols for service processes. We have certain processes that we use for products that we mix ourselves and that we make ourselves. And so with this, you know, if you sell the business, if it's under the business name, it goes with it. It goes with However, it. However, exactly. they're under my name. So if I were to sell my business and they wanted to keep those processes, they have to go through me you have to go through first. and pay you for it. And pay me for you it. You could sell it separately or, like I said, license it. And that's a whole separate uh, uh, process we can talk about. Um, maybe we should do that at a different show, licensing your products. I don't think we've done that yet as a we show. We haven't. Boom. <laughs> Next show. You like see what the come up with? <laughs> Omar couldn't come up with that one, bro. I'm, I'm <laughs> going to leave that one alone. Omar, you have some uh, discussions to do later. Um, but so let's say you do that. And so even if it's not just uh, licensing your, uh, your you want to do want to licensing, I think one of the key things are at that point is looking at your contracts. So when you're setting up your business, um, as you're setting it up and moving forward, you want to make sure that your contracts are in place, both mm -hmm. with your independent contractors, if you're using those. And we talked about independent contractors versus employees in previous shows. There is a distinct difference. Yes. You want to make sure you understand what the differences are and that you don't run afoul of state uh, requirements, which are more restrictive than federal requirements. But I, I tell people all the time, words have meanings. Uh, and so you want to be very uh, clear about what you're putting in your contracts to your clients, to your vendors, and to your employees so that you have all of that in writing. Make sure that it's been reviewed. Even if you want to go online and get a form yourself, have somebody review it who knows what they're doing first before you actually present that to the other party uh, to help protect you. Because uh, I can tell you now as an attorney, I love vague contracts. That means more money for me later on down the line. Uh because you're going to spend more money litigating what that contract was supposed to mean right. because it wasn't done in the first place. So you got to make sure your contracts are clear, concise, to the point. Everybody really does have a meeting of the minds, and mm -hmm. they understand what you're getting. One of my first bad run-ins with a contract, one of my mentors advised me, and let me know if you second this. He told me this, and this will stick with me forever. You don't make contracts for getting into partnerships. You make them for getting out of partnerships. Yep. And it's planning for the rainy day. Mm. Look at it that way. When things go wrong, so and it's a it's a somewhat of a twisted way of looking at it. It's mm -hmm. it's counterintuitive, uh, but you want to look at what you want to plan for the contingencies of what it, when some, what happens when something goes wrong. Right. Uh, and and those are the things you want to have in writing first when things are good. There's no point in negotiating how you're going to get out of a contract when things have already fallen apart and you're already upset. Somebody hasn't been paid. It's going to be harder to do that. But when you are both clear, you're both happy, I look at it like a relationship, a personal relationship. When you're dating, everything is fine. I can agree on everything. But when you're not agreeing on anything and you're trying to leave each other, it becomes mm -hmm. an issue and people fight over stupid stuff. So you want to do that when things are fresh, 
Uh, and then people have their expectations. You know what the what, you know what the issues are. You know what you're supposed to do. You know how much it's going to cost. You know what your options are if you're not happy and how you can get out at that point per the contract. So, yeah, so make sure contracts are in place and you have them all um, and everybody understands what they mean. Boom. You dropping. uh, (laughs) You know, I slept on you for a second. Second. (laughs) You know, it is late and all, but you can't be falling asleep on my show. Okay, okay. So now that we've gone through all of this before, um, establishing our entity. Is there anything else we need to do then, or do we get into? No, I think at that point, once you, yeah, once you decide, and sometimes it, these things may be ha- happening simultaneously. You may be doing all of this at the same time, so you okay. may have already met with your. Once you meet with your team and decide which entity you're going to form, you may do that to then move forward with some of the other things. So as you're, you can start your entity and then still work on developing your contracts and work on getting funding and financing, determining if you're going to sign off as a guarantor or not. Because, uh, you know, that makes a, a difference. So you can't sign a lease if you don't already have the entity. You can't sign a lease in the name of the entity if it doesn't already exist. So some things happen, have to happen uh, on your way through. And depending on, we haven't gotten to it yet, but uh, what your licensing is for your industry, you may have to get some other licenses mm-hmm. that require the business to be open anyway, or at least be formed. Yeah. So those are things that, again, it depends on what your industry is, what the practices are. If you need a professional license or not, if you need some kind of health and safety license, if you need some kind of certified training, all of those things are at play and can be happening simultaneously. You can start your business and work as you go. And a lot of that is making phone calls and just looking it up yourself online. I know when I started my business, you know, I had to call about 40 different offices just to figure out all the licenses I mm-hmm. need because I wanted to do it the right way. Right. I didn't want anybody to give me a reason, to sh- you know, to give a reason to shut me mm-hmm. down because I missed a step. Yep. So I had to speak to the fire department. I had to speak to zoning. I wasn't told to speak to zoning. But once I got my lease all figured out, my commercial broker suggested it. She said, I'm going to double check to make sure that the commercial space you're looking at is actually zoned for the type of business you want to have. And that was a simple phone call. It it happens a lot when people open, especially in those mixed districts. You're not sure if it's mixed or not, or if you're right on the borderline, if you're in the right zone or not, Mm -hmm. Um, depending on what you're doing, if you're manufacturing, if you have the right, if you want to open a a restaurant, can you have live entertainment? That's a separate license. That's a completely separate license. That's a completely separate license. Can you serve Exactly. Another separate license. A, a very expensive license. <laughs> yeah, I know. But and, and, and they don't issue them anymore. You have to buy an existing one. In, in Baltimore yeah. City, that is, anyway, for our out-of-state listeners or out of people who aren't in Baltimore City. But anyway, uh, so, yeah, those are things that you have to be take account of that won't always be ready when you form the business. So, again, to your point, I say form the business whenever your team you've met with your team and you've got that decision made. Go ahead and form the business because you're going to start incurring costs. You can write off to the business exactly. and you can still start developing things as you move forward. So I think that's uh, that's a good thing. And then you also want to start developing if you are going to use independent contractors or employees. Um, you want to figure out how can how long can you go without employees? Maybe you don't need an employee. Maybe you are in an industry that is customary to use independent contractors. Make sure you have all the requirements. There's like a 14 point uh, list of factors in Maryland that you can use to make sure they're certified or at least make sure they are considered independent contractors. So you want to make sure you have all that in place ahead of time. If you are going to have employees, you got to set up. If you're, if you're going to have W-2 employees where you're paying them a, an hourly wage or a salary, then you've got to worry about unemployment insurance, workers' compensation insurance, uh, liability insurance. So you've got to look at and add that person to your team as well. Who's your insurance agent? Uh, depending on your industry, you may need uh-huh. that as well. Um, so 
that's those are all things that can happen as you that you need to pay attention to when starting your business and as you move forward. Yeah, and as a prerequisite, you can go on the um, Department of Labor and Licensing mm -hmm. website just to just to get an overview. But still, you know, if you have any questions, you should definitely consult with an attorney about that. I know that um, I wanted my I can't say employees. I wanted my workers. <laughs> Omar gets on my back about that all the time. Contractors. I wanted to have contractors, but I had to make sure I was within those parameters. So to be safe, I just went through bullet point by bullet point. Yep. What makes a contractor a contractor? Exactly. And what are my stipulations? What things I have to stick to? And, and that, that's, that's, that's smart advice. I mean, I think that's what, you know, that's what EDAC is here for in, in, in helping small business owners. But I think that's why Omar is in a position he's in as well to help kind of channel people to the right places to look for information. So and I think you were, your point earlier about even if you don't have a team, sometimes doing your own due diligence first, doing your own research, whether it be going into some of these government offices, looking at the websites, talking to other people who are already in the industry or have at least, have at least started a business to kind of get that, get some sense of what you need to do. Because I think the worst thing, uh, the, the thing that counts against a business owner initially, especially a new business owner, is what they don't know. And they don't know what they don't know. It's a, this, it's, they're the state of unconscious, uh, unconscious incompetence. They really don't know what they don't know. And unless someone is guiding them or they got the right team, they can make a lot of mistakes early on that can be costly mistakes uh, later once they figure out that a mistake <laughs> has been made. So I think that's one of the key things. Um, again, we, we, I, I know we say it in every show, that you've got to have your team together. If you don't have a team, advisory board, uh, somebody out there that you can run your ideas off of just to say, hey, this is what I'm thinking about doing. This is my strategic plan. Can you take a look at it? This is my marketing plan. Or I'm thinking about going this route using independent contractors instead of employees. What do you think? You can always get information out there either through uh, direct research online or with talking with people. There's small business incubators all around as well that you can, you can go to or come here to Morgan and, and go to the EDAC Center. You can figure out and talk to Omar there and figure out what it is you should probably be doing initially before you start putting too much time and energy into a business. Awesome. So can you tell our listeners just, you know, for Maryland, I guess, what's the key difference between their W-2 employees and independent contractors? Um, again, they should it, be mindful of. The, the big difference is uh, uh, their autonomy and, and the control of the work. So um, that can be... Again, there are 14 different things you look for in the state. Uh, are they organized? Is it their own business? Do do they have uh, their uh, tax? Are they using a social security number versus a tax ID number? Are you their only client? Um, there's actually a form, I believe, on a Secretary of State's website that says that you can give as an as a business owner to an independent contractor. They would sign an offer that they acknowledge her being hired as an independent contractor. Um, so those are the type of things you're looking at. Are, are they filing? Uh, are they registered as a, as a separate business? Uh, do they have an LLC or, or are they a corporation? And those are the type of things you're looking at that will set you apart as an independent contractor. And as an independent contractor, the reason why it's so attractive to small business owners is that you don't have to pay all those other things. Mm -hmm. You don't have to pay the withholding tax. You don't have to pay unemployment insurance. Mm -hmm. You don't have to pay workers' comp insurance. Sometimes it depends on if they're on site or not. So you still have to have mm -hmm. some coverage for workers' comp. But generally, you know, those ex employee-related expenses, health care expenses, Depending on the number of employees you've got, you might not have to pay. Be, you might not be covered by the Affordable Care Act. So those are things that the benefits of having a, an independent contractor is you avoid some of those liabilities that come with having an employee. And but they should still be responsible for. You should also have 
um, guidelines on how they're supposed to behave when they're on your site and how they interact with clients yeah, as well. Yeah, and that's something they can agree to in their contract with you. Exactly. So, so you would say that you are still going to be bound by my employee handbook even though you're an independent contractor. You're right. not going to be rude to employees. And that's one thing I had to be very careful of because I had to make sure that I still didn't violate that. So even though they agreed to certain things while being on site, I also had to make sure that they had their own rights as far as control over their schedule and things like yep, that. I couldn't cross certain borderlines with what they could agree mm -hmm. to. Yeah, what equipment they're using, when they come in, how they come in, how they do the work. You know, mm -hmm. With an independent contractor, he says, hey, I need you to make widgets. And so you can't tell them that this is how you do it. This is step one. This is step two. Use my machinery. Use my products. It's, with an independent contractor, is I'm hiring you to do a job. These are the parameters. Come back to me when you're finished. <laughs> I mean, that's a very paraphrased you know, uh, way of saying it, but that's eventually what it comes down to. Versus an employee, you can micromanage. You can like, what are you doing today? What are you doing next hour? <laughs> well, exactly. I need you to come work at this time, and you can leave at that time. Those are the type of uh, level of control you have over an employee versus an independent contractor. So, Anthony, this has been such an informative session. I'm glad I could help. Workshop. Thank you. Um, can you tell our listeners how they can contact you? Sure. Uh, again, the firm name is TBMG Law. You can call us in the office at 410-685-5342. You can reach us online at www.tbmglaw.com. Uh, Facebook tb, is facebook.com slash tbmglaw. Our Twitter handle is tbmg. Okay, so we want to thank Mr. Anthony Butler for giving us tips on how to legally protect and start our businesses. We will have some show notes for you to look at on our website. To learn more information about the Moms as Entrepreneurs Academy that's going to be in Baltimore, you can go to My Entrepreneur on Sunday. MAEEntrepreneur.com. Make sure you follow us on Instagram, Periscope, Twitter, Facebook at My Entrepreneur, MAE Entrepreneur. Also, you can follow me, I'm The Business Doctor, on all social media as The Business Doctor. And you can follow me at Scrub Nail Boutique on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. And our, west, our website is www.scrubnailboutique.com. You can find more information about the salon and things that I have coming up in the near future. And until the next time, we will talk to you guys next Thanks month. Thanks for listening to us. We are again the Moms Entrepreneurs. Ma, 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 me. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.